Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Lemon, lime, and a drop of cherry make a simple Shirley. But what happens when Tito's handmade vodka reveals this sweet sipper's dirty secret? Stir up a Tito's dirty Sherlock and crack the case with Tito's at titosvodka.com. 40% alcohol by volume, namely 80 proof, crafted to be savored responsibly. Scared to Death is explicit in every way. Please take care while listening. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no heart, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hello, Dan. I'm wild, cool, interesting Lindsay. <laughs> Hello, Lindsay. <laughs> Hi. Uh, nice socks. Were you, showing, you know what? You're showing them off to start the show now. Well, just because they say stuff on the bottom. They yeah. say our yeah. stuff on the bottom. And my hip is killing me. And this yeah. is a very comfortable position. Okay. Now, how did the sock thing even start? Do my fuzzies? I do. Yeah. Episode one, baby. It was from the very beginning. Baby. Huh? <laughs> Where have you been? I, couldn't, I just couldn't remember when it got going. Okay, so um, the truth, like yeah. the the secret behind the curtain truth yeah. is that it was, I was so nervous because I am not a performer. Yeah. This was not my medium, all the different things. And I just wanted to be like cozy and comfy. I was scared. And I think that that day I was just like particularly cold. Yeah. Okay. And I put on the unicorn socks mm-hmm. and then the blanket. And the, the truth behind the blanket is that Side profile shots. Oh yeah, sitting. They're not good. They're not good for anyone. <laughs> yeah, like unless I don't know if you are wayfish thin like Kate Moss. Like, yeah, it's just so hard to feel confident. So I was like, well, I'll just snuggle up with a blanket. But now it like, now it's um, Pavlovian. Yeah. Put on the socks. Have the blanket. You get into the horror mode. I'm in story mode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now, basically, I'm a genius. I just <laughs> you know, I'm. I'm Pretending like I'm not a genius. <laughs> uh, a couple quick announcements. Thank you for that. For the history there. And then uh, and then we're off for today's stories. Uh, another very unique merch release this week. In the spirit of keeping the spooky vibes rolling into the holidays, we've got an amazing new postcard set in the store this week. Like a holiday card. So awesome. You get 16 deluxe thick postcards, four of each of four designs that all resemble the triangular shape of a Christmas tree in a creepy way. Mm-hmm. So there's Krampus, a Christmas tree cryptid, a festive yet spooky ghost and a midwinter alien abduction. They're really It's beautiful. really cool artwork. Yeah. So limited quantities of these. Um, so head on over to badmagicmerch.com and grab yours before they're sold out. So basically, instead of doing like a traditional holiday card, mm-hmm. you could just get these and send these out. Yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah. It's very I love cool. it. Or eat some for thank you notes after the holidays. 
Yeah, absolutely. And then you, do you want to mention charity today or, Ooh, or, or, uh, sorry. or are we, yeah, yeah we, to ask about before the show. Oh no, that's okay. I'm prepared. Okay. Uh, we are still as always recording in advance. So we do not have our donation total amount yet for the month of November, but as is tradition always here at bad magic, our November charity is something that we're doing in honor of veterans day. And this year our donation is going to the United heroes leagues, United heroes league. Yeah. Who provide free sports equipment, game tickets, grants, skills development camps, and so much more uh, to military families across the U.S. and Canada. It's mostly for kids, you know, to like help them be involved. If you've ever been in a travel sport or just a sport mm-hmm. in general, there's a lot of cost. And so we're supporting the kids of current and retired or, uh, you know, veteran families. And, uh, of course, we'll share with you that amount when we have it. But for now, if you would like to get involved and help them additionally, you can uh, visit unitedheroesleague.org and find out a little bit more. But a very cool charity. Yeah, very cool. And thanks again to our fan, Mike, who introduced me to them. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. And then, um, yeah, we still don't know about how the live show went. This is our last regular episode before that. So hopefully, again, we had a lot of fun. And next week, we'll, we'll let you know for real. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I thought it's going to be great. Uh, me too. I'm excited. I'm nervous to wear black-eyed children contacts. Mm-hmm. How, how your eyes are going to handle it. Mm-hmm. Okay, what fan submitted horror awaits us today, Lulu? Well, Daniel, I have three stories this week. Oh, okay, cool. And none of them too big, but none of but none of them too small. So nice, mm-hmm. medium sized stories. Um, I have given them all little titles. Yeah. So I'm just gonna let your imagination go with it. All right. Our first story is the House of Whispers. The House of Whispers. Okay. okay nice and spooky. Thank you. Our number two story is the little girl who likes to play games. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Also creepy. A picture of kid's imaginary friend is mm-hmm. not imaginary. Maybe. And our number three story is roommate seances. Hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. I don't, I don't really know what to expect on that one other than contacting something. Very good. Wow. You're, you are smart. <laughs> I have my standard two. Both have quite a bit of history attached to them, uh, which I believe also was the case last week. Oh, not, yeah. Not going to always do that, but just um, happens to be this last few weeks. In my first ep- uh, story, we'll explore numerous claims of encounters with the paranormal that all revolve around recently deceased country music legend Loretta Lynn. Oh, okay. Yeah, Loretta was a firm believer in ghosts. She was. Precognitive dreams, uh, other paranormal phenomena. Uh, before she passed, she shared a lot of stories about her supposed encounters with the paranormal. That's awesome. Uh, after Loretta, we'll cover hauntings related to a former subject of my Time Suck podcast, Belle Gunnis. Oh, yeah. Mrs. Hoingy Boingy Ufta. Hoingy Boingy Ufta. No humorous take on her deviant crimes today. Going to give an overview of this serial killer's life and crimes, then share stories of supposed encounters with her spirit and the spirits of some of her murder victims claimed by people who live on what was once her murder farm in LaPorte, Indiana. I, I love this idea of Bell Gunnis because, you know, if you have a prolific killer mm-hmm. and they commit their crimes over and over in the same place, mm-hmm. it, it's much like a cemetery. Like, of course, there's interesting energy there. Of course, yeah. it's going to be haunted. Like, well, remember we a had cool a cool take on it. We had a similar one uh, in uh, that also set in Indiana, a similar story that her Baumeister, yep, which that, we may cover, which we will cover on Time Suck eventually. And that was another thing where a bunch of people, he, you know, killed victims in the same place. And then that place now reportedly very haunted. He was a particularly kind of awful human. Yeah. Well, she she's rough, too. She's, she's rough, too. Ooh, boy. But like him targeting such a marginalized group of people really upset me well her her crimes uh i'm gonna argue are gonna be you'll see today but equally upsetting yeah you'll just you'll just see we don't have have the documentation because it was a long time ago but man she was an evil evil lady uh okay so you got your socks on and we're ready to go thank you to the fan that sent them in (laughs) 
<laughs> Country music Loretta, uh, legend Loretta Lynn recently passed in her sleep on October 4th, 2022, very recently, the age of 90. While Loretta Lynn was probably most known for her song Coal Miner's Daughter and her rags to riches story, she also wrote more than 160 songs, released 60 albums, had 10 number one albums, was the first woman to have a gold country music album, and won three Grammys. So just a little bit talented. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, but of course, that's not what we're talking about her today. These incredibly talented, hardworking woman also had a special interest in and connection with the world of the paranormal. Uh, but first, a little more about her incredible non-paranormal life. Loretta Lynn was born in Butcher Holler, Kentucky. <laughs> what? Uh, yep, Butcher Holler. A Butcher Holler. A tiny little unincorporated community on April 14th, 1932. She lived with her very large family in a small cabin in an Appalachian coal mining community, one of eight children. And started when she was a toddler, loved to sing. 1948, 15-year-old Loretta married 21-year-old Oliver Lynn, nicknamed Doolittle, a man with a reputation for being a hellraiser. They married a month after meeting, and she and this hellraiser, while they had their ups and downs, would stay married for almost 50 years until Doolittle's death. Uh. In 1949, the couple moved across the country to Custer, Washington, another unincorporated community based on logging instead of coal mining just a few miles from the Canadian border, just north of Seattle. 16-year-old Loretta was pregnant with the first of the couple's six kids when they made the move northwest. Doolittle worked in logging camps, and Loretta worked odd jobs and raised the children. And for the next several years, life was hard for the young mother. The family struggled. But then in 1953, Doolittle bought Loretta a $17 guitar. He had long loved to listen to her sing while she did chores and put the kids to bed. Been telling her for years that she was as good as anyone he heard on the radio. And once she learned to play, Doolittle arranged a performance for her at a nearby Grange Hall. He bragged at the venue that his wife could sing better than anyone but Kitty Wells, which was Loretta's favorite singer, and the people who showed up that night agreed or maybe thought she was better than Kitty. Doolittle encouraged her to keep performing, helped her drive around to promote herself. She started to sing locally on a regular basis, eventually got a contract with Zero Records after they heard her sing at a nightclub in Vancouver. Seven years after learning to play, a dozen years after marrying Doolittle, she signed her first recording contract, February 1st, 1960, and released her first single that same year. I'm a honky-tonk girl. The growing family now traveled to different country music stations around the country to play the song live, and it became a minor hit. The Lynn family then moved to Nashville, started working with the established country music duo of the Wilburn Brothers. Loretta performed at the Grand Ole Opry, got a contract with Decca Records now. She released her first full-length album in 1963, Loretta Lynn, Loretta Lynn Sings, and it reached number two on the country charts. And now the teen mother, logger's wife, and coal miner's daughter was a bona fide, bona fide excuse me, country music star. And the rest, as they say, is history. She became a household name for numerous generations, but despite how familiar most of her fans became with her life story, almost none of them knew about the numerous encounters with the spirit world, she claimed. Loretta Lynn died where she said that most of these encounters took place, uh, where most of them took place, in Hurricane Mills, Tennessee. She lived for many years there in an old mansion on the former plantation that she believed to be extremely haunted. Uh, Lynn owned the land for decades. By the 1960s, her hit songs made her wealthy enough to purchase not just this home, but the entire community of Hurricane Mills. <laughs> like, just own the town. Hurricane, yeah. Hurricane Mills is 3,500 acres of wooded land in Humphreys County, Tennessee. A small historic village surrounds a grist mill on Hurricane Creek. Loretta's Ranch has its own zip code, post office, six museums, motocross track, RV campground, concert venue, and more. The Hurricane Mills Rural Historic District was listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1999, and a couple hundred people live in this community. Hurricane Mills was established back in 1814. 
According to a 2003 Travel Channel documentary, a man named Royal Ferguson started farming there, and the Hillman family later built the mansion Loretta would live in. Hurricane Mills had a mill, church, numerous homes, a school, and cemeteries. The plantation mansion was built in 1876 at the center of town. There was a small Civil War battle near the house in 1863. According to Loretta, 19 soldiers died fighting there. A church house near the mansion was used as a hospital to treat those soldiers. And about 30 years after the Civil War, James Thomas Anderson purchased the property and lived there with his family from May 29, 1858 to June 18, 1924. Um, sorry, the dates there, it wasn't 30, just a, 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 during the Civil War. That was a weird, I don't know what that phrasing was. Hurricane Mills then stayed in the Anderson family for many years. Many Anderson family members are buried in the Anderson Cemetery near the house. Anderson made uh, efforts to improve Hurricane Mills by damming up the river, installing the first electric lights in the whole co county. Uh, Loretta bought the former plantation in 1966. She, Doolittle, and the kids lived in the original 19th century mansion until 1988. And then she uh, spent her final kind of months there as well. Uh, the property eventually became known as Loretta Lynn's Ranch. And she and Doodle, Doolittle found the property when, when out on a country drive, like with so many ghost stories, Loretta was instantly drawn to the mansion. Felt like she had to have it. She later said in the 2003 Travel Channel documentary, I said, I want that house. At the time, we didn't know the town come with it. General manager of the ranch, Anthony uh, Brudo, later told Tennessee River Valley Geotourism, in 1966, Loretta and Doolittle stumbled upon the little town while looking for another piece of property, found that big house on the hill. It was kind of dilapidated, but Loretta fell in love with it. Once they found out who owned the home, they also found out that that person owned the town of Hurricane Mills. The only way the Lynns could buy the house was to purchase everything. So they bought the whole town. And then they would soon learn that they weren't the only ones living in their new mansion. Time now for the tale of a coal miner's daughter's encounters with the paranormal. Loretta was open and honest about her psychic abilities and paranormal encounters whenever asked. She claimed that she witnessed several different apparitions and heard many unexplainable noises in her 19th century home and that her interactions with the paranormal didn't actually start in Hurricane Mills. Loretta told the producers of Celebrity Ghost Stories, When I was growing up, I had quite a few experiences of seeing things, but I never realized that I was seeing something or hearing something that other kids didn't hear or didn't see, you know. I thought we all did. When Loretta, when Loretta was 10, she said she began to see the people that have passed on walking around on her family's property like no one had told them they died. She thought everyone could see them and then later learned it was only her. But she wasn't the only member of her family to claim paranormal abilities. Loretta said that her mother was a psychic and offered predicting things weeks before they happened. Uh, Loretta's mother predicted, for example, her marriage to Doolittle. Loretta said that because of her mother's predictions, which she claimed almost always came true, and her own experiences later with premonitions, spirits don't scare me really. What scares me is my dreams. When I dream a bad dream, it scares me to death sometimes because I just sit and wait for something to happen. And 99% of the time, something bad will happen if I dream. While living in Washington as a young mother, she said she woke up one morning at 4 a.m., woke up feeling panicked after having a nightmare where she'd seen her father's dead body in a coffin. Doolittle tried to get her to go back to sleep, telling her it was just a dream, but Loretta insisted that her father had just died. An hour later, 5 a.m., her neighbor came to the door. The Lynns didn't own a phone, and this neighbor said that Loretta needed to come over and take a call. She hurried next door, spoke to her sister-in-law, who told her that her father had indeed just passed away a couple hours earlier. And when Loretta came home from the funeral, she told her mom that her dad was wearing the exact same suit, was lying inside the exact same coffin she had seen in her dream. 
Many years later, an even greater dream-predicted tragedy would occur in Loretta's life. Once, when her mother came to visit her in Hurricane Mills, she didn't come bearing good news. She told Loretta that one of her grown children would soon drown in Hurricane Mills unless she got rid of the property and moved away. Loretta insisted that all her kids, who were, again, grown, knew how to swim, that they were strong swimmers, in fact. But her mother said that the water on her property was dangerous and that she should take her family and leave. She didn't. Loretta thought it was one of the rare times when her mother would be wrong, but it wouldn't be. In the summer of 1984, Loretta and Doolittle's eldest son, Jack Benny Lynn, 34, would drown on the property. More on his death later. Long before Jack's predicted death, Loretta had been encountering the paranormal on the property on a regular basis. Shortly after moving in, she hung her growing collection of album covers on the wall next to the stairs. And someone or something started tilting them crooked and kept doing it. No matter how many times she would straighten them, shortly after doing so, they'd all end up turned sideways again. At the same time, at night, she was often hearing the distinct sound of someone walking up the stairs wearing high heels. Visitors to her historic home, who for many years while she lived there were able to buy tickets to tours all over the all over the house, ended up being forbidden from using the stairs and accessing the second floor because Loretta was not only hearing these footsteps but witnessing shadowy entities and spirits around the stairs as well. She didn't want to be startled and scarred or scared any more than she already was. She also didn't want to disturb the spirit world and risk increasing the existing activity. Many members of the families who once lived in the mansion before the Lynns had been buried in a small graveyard on the property, and Loretta assumed that it was the ghost of these people that she kept hearing and seeing. She told the producers of Celebrity Ghost Stories, They're still here with me, and it doesn't bother me at all. They're happy that I'm taking care of the place. Loretta's sons, Jack and Ernest, while they lived in the mansion, uh, not as at peace with the spirit world as their mother was. They both ended up refusing to sleep in one of the upstairs bedrooms called the Brown Room after separate incidents. Sometime in 1967, Ernest, 16 at that time, was sleeping in the brown room when he woke up at 2 a.m. The room was freezing, and Ernest quickly realized he wasn't alone. He could clearly see the apparitions of two strange men he did not recognize in the room with him. He screamed, ran out, refused to ever sleep there again, just like his old, uh, brother Jack had already done. Prior to Ernest's encounter, Jack used to sleep in the brown room, and the last night he slept there, he fell asleep on his stomach with his boots still on, woke up in the middle of the night, startled by a strange man in his room who was trying to pull off his boots. <laughs> the man was wearing an old hat and what looked like a Civil War Confederate soldier's uniform. One of the family's dogs was with Jack, and uh, this dog also saw the spirit. The dog growled, bared his teeth, and then jumped at the man in an attempt to defend Jack. And then Jack said he watched his dog jump straight through what he now came to believe could only be a ghost. Wow. Jack fled from the room as fast as he could, stumbling towards the stairs, then fell down the stairs in a mad scramble to escape from the spirit of the dead soldier. Loretta's daughters also reported seeing the spirits of Confederate soldiers inside their Tennessee home. And on one occasion, twin sisters, Patsy and Peggy Lynn, claimed to wake up one morning to both see a woman dressed in white standing at the foot of their bed. Perhaps it was the same ghost Loretta claimed to often witness. On numerous occasions, Loretta reported seeing the spirit of a mourning woman inside the house and also in the nearby graveyard. She came to believe the apparition she kept seeing was the ghost of Beulah Anderson, a woman who had died on the property shortly after losing her baby in 1917. Loretta first saw her ghost standing on the balcony one evening. She initially thought she was looking at a real flesh and blood woman and was confused. The woman looked nothing like the children's babysitter, Gloria, who was supposedly uh, the only other woman uh, at home at the time. Loretta watched this woman for several moments, leaning over the balcony, wringing her hands and weeping. She thought that Gloria must know her, that maybe the two had had some sort of argument. Loretta found Gloria, asked her, who's that up on the porch? Gloria was surprised. 
She also thought she was the only other woman at home, said that she'd just been up there and that no one was there. Loretta insisted, yes, there is. I saw a lady in white walking back and forth, wringing her hands. Something's wrong with her. The two women now went to the balcony together to approach this woman, find out what she was doing on the property, but no one was there. Not long after this encounter, tragically, Loretta's mother's premonition that one of her kids would die at Hurricane Mills came true. Jack again drowned while crossing uh, Duck River on the property. He was out looking for cattle. The river was moving high and fast, and he fell off his horse while trying to cross it. This occurred on July 22nd, 1984, while Loretta was out on tour. That same day, she was hospitalized due to a seizure, and during the seizure, she had a dream that her son died. And she told a friend visiting her at the hospital about this dream. While she's telling her friend, her husband Doolittle came into the room and told her that Jack had died. Making his death even stranger, shortly before Jack died, he had told his parents that he'd been approached by a preacher at Hurricane Mills, a preacher who said he was lost. This preacher asked Jack to pray with him. Jack said he didn't know how. The preacher showed him. Jack died three weeks later, and the strange preacher was never seen again. Loretta thinks this so-called preacher was not a living person, another ghost to the ranch. Loretta seems surrounded by spirits on her ranch from the very beginning. When she and her family first moved to Hurricane Mills, the Lynns found something extremely disturbing under their front porch. They found what they called a slave pit, a tiny basement with bars and with hanging chains on the wall. The Lynns came to the conclusion that this basement was likely used as a form of torture, a form of punishment for enslaved people. Loretta soon came to believe that the ghosts of former slaves still haunt the property. She and a friend were awake watching TV one night when they both saw someone walk across the porch outside the window. They were scared. No one should have been on the porch or anywhere near it. Then a few minutes later, it happened again. The two women then crept outside to investigate. Both heard the sounds of rattling chains coming from this pit. Loretta once conducted a seance in an attempt to communicate with all these spirits and claimed she, uh, or claimed she made contact. She said that she and a group of friends spoke with a spirit who called himself Anderson and then that spirit began violently shaking their table. Shook it so hard the table actually broke when it was slammed against the floor. Loretta did some research, tried to determine who this Anderson could be, and learned about that James Anderson. The guy born in 1858, uh, you know, one of the founders of this Hurricane Mills kind of community. Despite the broken table, Loretta said she um, uh, wasn't afraid of James Anderson. Oh, yeah, and earlier when I said 1858, he didn't move that he was born there. So that's why I had a hesitation. Despite the broken table, Loretta said she wasn't afraid of James Anderson. In fact, she said in another one of these documentaries, he's protecting me. He knows that I took care of him. I wouldn't let nothing happen to that house, not as long as I'm living. I don't think the kids would either, so I don't think Mr. Anderson has anything to worry about. Loretta's employees have also shared plenty of their own paranormal encounter stories from their time on the ranch. According to Loretta's family, housekeepers come in once a week to clean and straighten all the items hanging on the wall next to the stairs. Afterwards, they always find a few out of place. Ranch manager Will Will Rourke, oh my God, I can't talk today. Will Rourke told WKRN, they do things to let you know they're still there. Loretta's grandson, Anthony Bruto, recalled a time when the power went out of the mansion. Uh, The mansion, he turned a corner to get back into the room near the grand staircase and saw that the chandelier light was still on, even though it was connected to the same breaker as the other lights. In 2003, the Travel Channel produced a documentary about the plantation where Loretta and her staff shared more experiences. Employee Tim Cobb once clearly heard someone walking around the second floor when no one else was home. Looking into it, he saw a shadowy figure blocking the light as it passed into a doorway, the doorway into the brown room. At first, he thought the shadow was an actual man, but then he found the brown bedroom uh, completely empty. Next day, around the same time, he saw that the windows in the brown room were frosted over. Very strange because they had central heating. There was no frost on the outside of the window. None of the other windows in the house had frost on it. 
According to Loretta's son, Ernest, the brown room is always cold, and there are usually also a bunch of dead flies in the windowsill, but are found nowhere else in the house. Employee Gail Crowell shared another story. She and two employees came to the house to hang up banners after the 9-11 tragedy. They were hanging the banners on the balcony, closed the door behind them, but then couldn't get back inside because the door was suddenly locked. They had to wait until they could get someone else's attention to unlock the door for them. And she thinks that a ghost was mad because the spirits on the ranch don't like it when anything is changed, when anything new is hung up. Loretta promised the spirits that she would decorate the house nicely, keep things the way she originally put them after that. Years later, Loretta told a tour guide not to touch the album covers on the wall by the stairs, but didn't say why. During a tour, this tour guide touched one of the albums. Right after doing that, one of the guests on the tour asked, who's that man behind you? And allegedly... This apparition that they all saw on this tour pushed the tour guide down the stairs. Well, you get what you get. A couple more quick additional encounter claims. Uh, Some staff reported seeing the spirit of an elderly man who vanishes suddenly whenever you look at him. Others report regularly hearing phantom knocking coming from inside one of the bedroom closets. The Ghost Adventures team investigated uh, the Loretta Lynn Ranch in season five. And Megan Bruto, Loretta's granddaughter, told them that she had heard footsteps walk into the house on numerous occasions. And then when she was a young girl, she twice woke up to see a man standing over her bed. Megan's mother used to see the same man in the house when she was a little girl. All these encounters only represent a small sampling of the encounters claimed by many guests, staff, and family members who stayed at the Loretta Lynn Ranch in Hurricane Mills, Tennessee. As Loretta Lynn herself once said, the house is full of history and some of it is extremely tragic. No wonder it's so haunted. Based on encounters continuing up to the present, it seems as if many active spirits there are going to continue to be seen and heard. For a long time to come. That's great. What a cool property. I love that. About the town. Well, I love her story. Sorry. I actually didn't know any of that about Loretta Lynn. Mm Because not 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 a fan, just not she's not high on my list of like, oh man, really love her. She doesn't resonate with me. Uh but what a cool life story. Yeah, yeah. I know it wasn't as scary that the opening part, but also like just very kind of inspiring. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Just, yeah, like you said, like a really um, And I was getting like a little story. misty-eyed. Mm-hmm. was like, oh, good for you. And like, just what a, a great example of a positive relationship of like him being so supportive and, you know, buying her that guitar and then this like beautiful career that she yeah. builds and, and and they build this beautiful life together. I know there were, <laughs> there were definitely parts of the relationship I left out. They definitely- Oh no, was he abusive? Um, They hit each other. So they've getting some crazy fights. Okay, so like Whitney and Bobby. Yeah, yeah, like and uh, and I guess he was um, faithless was not his strong suit. He was a hoe bag. But she, but she said like when she, after he passed, she was like, I know. She's like, I'm not trying to make excuses. She's like, he was you know had a lot of terrible qualities. But then she also said, um, believed in me like no one else ever had. Well, and always did. So it's like far from perfect. You know, none sure. of us are perfect. I mean, they had well. a more a you know uh, rocky relationship than a lot of people. But maybe but it also, for them. Also really loved each other the whole time. I know. I have like, whatever, I don't want, we can talk about relationships and all yeah. those things on a bonus episode, but just very quickly, it's like each relationship is unto itself. Mm-hmm. And if it, I mean, I'd, obviously the abuse is not. Right, And right. like the emotional abuse of cheating. However, like that's between yeah. them and like what they. And she had some comment there where she's like, basically like. Um, anytime or something, it sounded like she was doing most of the striking the way she phrased it was that they would get into it and she was bopping him more than he was bop, which I, bopping, him. which I imagine had something to do with the infidelity, but yeah, but right. I didn't want to like, doesn't I didn't make it okay. like, no, yeah. no, 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 it's like, it's, it's abuse either way. Totally. Um, but at the end of the day, that's their relationship and she loved yeah. him and like, whatever their story is still inspiring. Yeah. So all that aside, I love that they went and bought this freaking town. 
I know. Like, good on you. That's hysterical to me. <laughs> I, I don't even know what that would have cost then and then, like, what that would equate to now. So her yeah. family still owns it. And yeah. so I wonder— It's a huge tourist um, destination now. I bet Loretta's going to make her way back there. And I wonder Ooh. if on, like, some level, if the spirits are like, ha-ha, we got one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, like because now she's on their side. Yeah, You know, yeah. like, it would be so cool if she comes back to the property, if, like— I don't know. I mean, just like taking all bets off the table. If she was able to come back, interact with those spirits, mm -hmm. and then interact with her family in a way that let them know it's her and sort of validate, like, yes, we absolutely did see those yeah. things. We did have this person's story right or that person's story right. Like, I don't know. It could just be this weird and very cool connection between both sides of the of the world. I was thinking like how fun it would be to be like walking around the grounds and then hear like in the distance like coal miner's daughter or something yep. like it's like like that little melody mm -hmm. and know that it was you know Loretta's spirit singing yeah. it around the property. Yeah. And and so and so she died at the house. Is that where she uh, that's passed? What, yes, it sounds like she passed in the house. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And her son died at that property. So now I feel like there's probably some magical connection. I mean, I do believe that you can find your people on the other side, mm -hmm. but I wonder if you die in the same place, if you're somehow more connected. Yeah. Easier to Maybe. find. Don't have to work as hard. I don't know. I don't know. I have a few pictures. Okay. This first one is just, just a nice uh, promo pic of uh, Loretta Lynn, undated. I think it was taken somewhere around the property. Mm -hmm. So pretty. Mm -hmm. and, and I do love their story where it's like, man, talk about the odds stacked against you. Holy crap. Coal miner's daughter, doesn't finish school, married at, what, 16. Married before she was 16 because yeah. she was pregnant at 16. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. And then six kids, you know, living in, uh, you know, couldn't afford a phone, living in this tiny little logging town. I'm sure just barely scraping by as they're, you know, having kids. And, and I bet, like, their, their um, contemporaries also very much doing the same thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yep. it probably didn't—I'm not saying it wasn't hard, but it probably felt like, well, this is just what you do. Yeah, and and then for her to, like, end up where she ended up— Oh, my wow. God. Talk about it. Yeah, against the odds. Uh, and then uh, pick a Loretta from 2015 of her standing in front of the uh, big plantation mansion at Hurricane Mills. Still moving and grooving. Mm-hmm, yeah, for her mid-'80s there. Uh, better shot of Loretta's home now from a little bit of a distance. Wow. Yeah, big piece of property. Yeah, you weren't kidding when you said mansion. Uh, and then these are the infamous stairs where Loretta heard someone in high heels walking up them, um, where she saw apparitions, where the framed pictures. Oh, interesting the that wall. they're carpeted too. Like when I think I don't think it used to be. Okay, because I was going to say when I hear high heels on steps, that's a different, no, very distinct sound. Then. Well, this was back in the 60s and when she was hearing this in like the 70s, maybe even like uh, – I think uh, probably, yeah, hardwood at that time. Yeah. And that's where the tour guide was supposedly pushed down the stairs. No, deservedly so. <laughs> uh, and then this is the porch where Loretta said they discovered that pit, the tiny Ugh. basement with bars and the hanging chains underneath it. Yeah, that, that was a new one. I hadn't heard one of those before. I mean, How fucking I know. cruel, my God. So fucking cruel. Yeah. Uh, it did... Uh, okay, so on Instagram, I follow, I want to say it's like Cheap Old House. I, I've mm -hmm. like, it's a very fun page to follow. So there's a house for sale. I want to say in Indiana right now, $49,900, which is just like, hello, oh fucking haunted as shit. <laughs> like, like there's just, it's just haunted. <laughs> and it has like beautiful old millwork and stained glass windows. And it, you, the carousel says like, the most interesting thing about this house isn't the millwork, isn't the stained glass windows. It's the compartment under the stairs in the kitchen and it is this creepy uh, ass they don't go in in but it's just like there's a essentially like a pantry closet or a broom closet and underneath it there's an additional little like door and you're just like 
Yeah. And it's $50,000. Yeah. Do you want to buy a house? I just, I didn't know that like houses that are nice on any level were still in this country selling for that. Well, I don't know that it's nice. I think yeah. that it needs a it shit needs ton a of, of work. Attention, yeah. Like h- probably hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then mm. if it's on the historical uh, register, well, you then the, you are do the work the right handcuffed yeah. in, in what you can do, which I appreciate. Obviously being lovers of architecture and places like New mm-hmm. Orleans, it's like mm-hmm. I value when that historical registration is given to a place. Mm-hmm. I, I I love it because I know that in 100 years that will still exist and yeah. it will still be as it was and it helps build our history as a young country. Mm-hmm. That said, $50,000, <laughs> you're buying the world's most haunted house. But listen, yeah. if all y'all creeps and peepers want to get together and buy it and restore it, Dan and I will come spend the night. <laughs> oh not, I'm not kidding. I oh. promise right now. All right. Well, if they're gonna, it's going to be years. Do you know how much money that's <laughs> yeah. going to take? Okay, okay. Uh, you ready to head to Indiana? Whoa, look at that. Yeah, you're already talking about Man, it. Man, I'm a genius. To hear some even more disturbing encounter claims? Yeah, this is probably Bell Gunness's old house. That's probably what it is. <laughs> Before we move on to more scares, time for today's in-between stories sponsor break. Please take advantage of these sponsored deals and use our codes and landing pages. Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Lemon, lime, and a drop of cherry make a simple Shirley. But what happens when Tito's handmade vodka reveals this sweet sipper's dirty secret? Stir up a Tito's dirty Sherlock and crack the case with Tito's at titosvodka.com. 40% alcohol by volume, namely 80 proof, crafted to be savored responsibly. Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking, and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Factors Never Frozen, Always Fresh Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time you will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen. I think I speak for everyone when I say that the summer is the busiest time of the year. We are all trying to cram in as many things as possible, from concerts to vacations and everything in between. With Kyler home from college and Monroe on her break too, I want to spend as much time as possible with them. And while I truly love to cook, the summer is the one time of year that I'm the least interested in doing that for three meals a day. So I lean on Factor to help keep me healthy and in step with my diet. I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time. Head to factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 and use code scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code scared to death 50 at factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Thanks for listening to the sponsors, Creeps and Peepers. Okay, decent amount of setup again. Okay. But this time the setup information might be more disturbing than the claims of uh, haunting. In the early hours of April 28th, 1908, residents of LaPorte, Indiana raced to uh, help put out a huge fire at the Guinness Farmhouse. Three children and their mother were thought to be trapped inside. 
After many hours of trying to get the blaze under control, all three children's dead bodies were found lying on a burnt mattress in the basement. They were laid next to what was initially thought to be the charred remains of their mother, Belle. But something was seriously wrong with the woman's corpse. It was missing her head. No amount of searching would recover the missing head. And right away, the men investigating the fire noticed that the woman's body was much smaller than Belle's, even when taking the damage from the fire into consideration. It became clear that a crime scene had been staged. Some mystery woman's body had been laid out next to the Gunnis children to make anyone investigating the fire think that Belle Gunnis had died along with them. Clearly, that was not the case, and now Belle became the primary suspect, not only in the murder of this woman, but also in the murders of her three children. Piece of poop. It would soon become evident that Belle was not the quiet, doting mother that many of her Laporte, Indiana neighbors assumed she was. She was a serial killer. The more investigators looked into Belle, the more murders they came across. It's now believed that Belle Gunnis murdered over 40 people, perhaps a lot more than 40 people, between 1884 and 1908. Belle was born in Norway on November 11th, 1859, as Brynhild Paul Storset. At the age of 21, Brynhild immigrated to the U.S. and settled, into, uh, settled in Chicago to start a new life. She took the American name of Bella, Bella Peterson, then married a man named Mads Albert Sorensen in 1884, Bell and Mads opened a candy store in 1894, but after failing to turn a profit, their candy store burned down, and they collected a nice insurance payout for the building. Some think Bella torched the place, or at the very least, learned in this instance how profitable insurance payouts could be and decided to use that knowledge to her nefarious advantage. Bell and Mads would have four children together, Caroline, Axel, Myrtle, and Lucy, and Bell would kill them all. Caroline and Axel both died of acute colitis, which interestingly has the same symptoms as being poisoned. Bell received large insurance payouts for both of their deaths. Bell also adopted a little girl named uh, Jenny Olson that she would also later murder, and she likely killed her husband. Mads Albert Sorensen died on July 30th, 1900 at the age of 45, not long after he and Bell collected another big insurance payout for another suspicious fire. He had appeared totally healthy in the days leading up to his death, died on the one day that his two life insurance policies happened to overlap. The first doctor who examined Mads thought he died of strychnine poisoning, but the Sorensen family doctor, who had previously treated him for an enlarged heart, believed he died of heart failure. Sorensen's family demanded an inquiry into his death, suspicious of his wife, but no charges would be filed against Bell. Bell used an $800 or $8,500 combined insurance payout, when that was a lot more money than it is now, uh, to buy a big farm on the outskirts of Laporte, Indiana. And then wouldn't you know it, her boat and carriage houses burned down soon after she moved onto the property more insurance payouts. She married a man named Peter Gunnis in April of 1902 to help her on the farm. Barely a week later, Peter's so far healthy infant daughter died when home alone with Belle. Jesus. Just about everyone who spent significant time with her died. In December of that same year, Peter also died after he was mysteriously bashed in the head with a sausage grinding machine that Belle said had somehow fallen off a kitchen shelf above him or been violently swung into his head by Belle. Allegedly, when the coroner examined the body, he said, this is a case of murder. Bell was now finally a murder suspect for the first time officially, but somehow able to convince investigators she was innocent. In 1903, Bell gave birth to her son, Philip. Her final child that we know of, Philip's father, is unknown. In 1906, uh, Bell told her neighbors that her adopted daughter, Jenny Olson, had ran off to a Lutheran college in Louisiana, but that wasn't true. Her remains would be found on the property a couple years later. After Peter's death, Bell started posting notices in the lovelorn columns of various newspapers around the Midwest asking men to come to her farm to be her husband. 
and she had a lot of interest. She was a wealthy woman at this point, thanks to so much murder and insurance fraud. Most of the men who traveled to LaPorte, Indiana to meet Bell disappeared soon after they arrived. One of these men was Andrew Hegelin. In 1908, Hegelin's brother grew suspicious of his disappearance and suspected that Bell had killed him. He traveled to LaPorte to investigate and confront her. Just when it seemed like Bell might finally face justice, her house burned down to the ground. After the fire, workers found those four skeletons, right? Myrtle and Lucy, her last two uh, children from her first marriage, uh, her youngest son, Philip, and then one woman missing her head. And again, clearly something was amiss. Investigators at the urging of the relatives of the men who'd gone missing, when they traveled to meet Bell, did some digging, found a, ended up finding the remains of more than 40 people on Bell's property. Bell's hired hand, Ray Lamphere, was arrested and found guilty of arson, but cleared of the murder charges. Lamphere exposed the truth about Bell, blamed her for starting the fire, also said that the body in the house was not hers. He said she planned everything, then fled town after withdrawing almost all of her money from the bank. Lamphere was asked to wait for her, but she never came to the meeting point. It's believed that Bell smothered her children shortly before the fire, carried them to the basement. The woman found in the house was a housekeeper from Chicago, who Bell had just hired a week earlier. According to Lamphere, Bell decapitated that woman, put her body in the basement next uh, in her clothing, put her false teeth next to the body so it would be identified as her. And then Bell went missing and was never seen again. The last alleged sighting of Bell Gunnis was in 1931. A woman named Esther Carlson was arrested in Los Angeles for poisoning a Norwegian man for his money. Two people who knew Bell recognized her from the photo she had with her. And then Esther Carlson died while awaiting trial. Bell's murder farm, as it came to be known, no longer exists in a form that Bell would recognize it. The land has been divided up and new houses built upon the parcels. Now residents say that Bell and some of her victims haunt this land and that Bell's ghost is not done tormenting her victim spirits or some of the people who now live on what was once her land. Time now for the tale of the ghost of Bell Gunnis. Diana Yearby lived in her house on McClung Road in LaPorte, Indiana for 59 years. Her parents bought the place when she was a child, raised her there, and then she raised her own family on the same property after they passed away. Diana remembers the first time she had a paranormal encounter there. She was 20 years old, sitting on a bench outside the Yearby family home one night when she heard the wind chimes, when there was absolutely no wind outside. Then she saw something strikingly bright pierce through the pitch black night sky. She looked up, saw the apparition of a woman. She described the apparition as looking like a photograph, but all white. And she became convinced, once she saw some photos, that it was the spirit of Bel Gunnis. Maybe this appearance was a warning. If so, Diana didn't take it. Years later, Bell's ghost would return and this time do a lot more than just make a brief harmless appearance. Diana's only son was almost grown when it started. He'd always been a happy, easygoing kid, was the same as a teen, until he suddenly became obsessed with a small hill just off their property. He claimed it was Bell's Hill, and he even spray-painted the words Murder Hill on a lone tree that had grown atop it. And then one night, with a strange look in his eye, he told his mother he was going to end his life. Before she could get him the help he clearly needed, he told his mother, I'm going to murder Hill. He left and then fatally shot himself in the head. Diana is convinced that this was no ordinary suicide. She thinks that Bell killed him, luring him to some part of the property where, she'd, where she could captivate him somehow, just as she had done to so many of her victims when she was still alive. She thinks the neighborhood is haunted by her evil presence, which is why she finally left. In 2001, the Render family moved just across the street from Diana. Laurie and her husband, Mike, moved in with their two sons, their eldest, Michael, and then Devin, who wasn't in preschool yet. 
The family had come to view the house and Lori instantly fell in love with it. She was most excited by the large backyard for her kids to play in. They'd been house hunting for a long time. This seemed like the perfect fit. She wouldn't take no for an answer even after the realtor pulled her and Mike aside and said, I need to tell you about who used to live here. Numerous of the dead bodies found after Bell's farm burned down had been buried under the home they were thinking about buying. Despite this, they moved in anyway. And within a month of moving in, Devin started talking to his ghost friends. Mm -hmm. As most parents would, Lori and Mike assumed that their son just had an imaginary friend or group of friends. They knew that moving could be difficult for a kid and thought perhaps this was a coping mechanism. But then it soon became apparent that something else was going on. Devin started telling his parents that he was speaking to ghosts and also that they were the victims of Bell Gunnis. And now his parents were immediately spooked. They hadn't told the little boy the history of their new property. Little Devin would go into graphic detail regarding how they died, sharing information their five-year-old son definitely would not know, information that they initially didn't even know. He told his parents about how they were all scared of Bell's ghost, who he named the Killer Ghost. One afternoon, Lori witnessed her son Devin interact with one of these scared ghosts. The two had just returned home from a trip to the grocery store. After Devin stepped out of the car and Lori locked it, Devin began to scream. No, Mommy, the man can't get out. He's locked in the car, Mom. He's angry. Lori grew frustrated trying to get her son and her groceries inside the house. She kept trying to reassure Devin that no one was in the car and that if there was a ghost there, the ghost could get out all by itself. But then she felt an intensely cold body of air move right through her as her son, still screaming, wailed, Mommy, he says he's going to hurt you if anything happens to him. Lori now felt the cold spot return. This time when it moved through her again, Devin suddenly stopped crying and said very confidently, Oh, you were right, Mommy. He's standing right behind you now. Lori suddenly took Devin's talk of ghosts very seriously. Years later, Devin would say in an interview, The ghost in the car, he wasn't like a real person. He was a silhouette of a man that used to be here. After the car incident, seeking relief from these spirits, Lori invited the first of numerous paranormal investigation teams to explore the property. Tom Groot from Midwest Paranormal described the house as having a very oppressive, melancholy atmosphere as soon as he got out of the car. Through some digging, he uh, found that the render's house had been built on the surviving foundations of Bell's farmhouse and that their basement shared some of the original structure. Tom looked around the house, set up some EVP recorders, in the basement, he got an EVP of someone saying, I'm Belconis. Lori was terrified when she distinctly heard a woman's voice say, Hi. Two of the EVP recorders also picked this up. In 2005, not long after the investigation, Michael, the couple's oldest son, found a set of false teeth. <gasps> Michael was playing in the yard when he found them. He said, I was just looking around, kind of doing my own thing. Happened to look down at the right time at the right spot. The family could tell that they were not store-bought fake teeth. They were real dentures. They had them examined, found that they came from the time period that Bell was committing her murder spree. Michael had likely just found Bell's fake teeth. Just a couple days after this discovery, perhaps the most terrifying event during the family's time at the house occurred. Lori was at work, called home to check on Mike and the kids, only to find the line busy. She thought that was strange, as they really didn't receive many calls. A little while later, Mike called back, explained he had been on the phone with the fire department. A fire had broken out in their basement. Lori arrived home just in time to talk to the rather confused firefighters who said there seemed to be absolutely no explanation for how the fire started. One of them joked about spontaneous combustion. Lori didn't think there was anything spontaneous about it. Perhaps angered by the discovery of her teeth, her spirit stirred by something that once belonged to her being moved, she thought Belle was behind this. Lori now tried one last attempt at getting some help, invited the group WISP, Witches in Search of the Paranormal, to investigate the home. WISP members were able to find a little more evidence to point into the presence of Bell's spirit haunting the property, including an EVP conversation with Bell in which she states her full name 
And in answer to the question of, was that your body found in the basement? There was a clear response of, I arranged it. When asked who the woman was found in the basement, the recording of the female voice said, Helena. This was extremely interesting to Wisp as during their research beforehand, they'd come across claims that the young woman hired from Chicago to be a maid by Bella shortly before uh, the fire was named Helena. Wisp's investigation was called to an end just after this EVP conversation when Mark Griffin, one of their investigators, standing at the bottom of the stairs to the basement, and he was suddenly knocked to the ground by an invisible force. He lost his flashlight, lost his recorder. Uh, when he was pushed, said he had never felt so threatened or scared. He believes he'd encountered the powerful and dark entity of Bell Gunnis, and that his life would have been in danger if he had stayed there any longer. Despite this terrifying evidence that Bell Gunnis was indeed haunting the house and also capable of violence, Lori said in an interview in 2013 that she and her family would stay in the house until something told them explicitly to leave. Fucking get out. <laughs> How dumb are you? The fire? I know. Oh, yeah. That's too much. That's too much. Too much, too much, too much. That could happen in the middle of the night while you're sleeping. That mm -hmm. could be your children down there playing. Like, that's just too risky. I agree. Too risky. Like, interactions are one thing. Fires, whole other level. Mm hmm When you could actually die. Actually die. A very painful death. Okay, a couple of uh, photos again. Uh, this first one, picture of Belle Gunnis and three of her children, who uh, she, of course, would later murder. I mean, she looks crazy in her eyes. I got to tell you. She, she, she looks like someone I do not want to fuck with. Also, that little chunky baby. I know. So sad. It's, I know. I can't think about it. It's too much. Like, yeah. There's already, like, in that era, there was already enough death just mm -hmm. because of lack of medicine, resources, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So it's like, oh. And that's how just, you get away with it, too, because people were used to kids dying all the time. Uh, I know. That's how, that's how we uh. got stuck with our kids. Because, like, now... <laughs> Uh, this next picture, the remains of Belle's farm. Oh, God, Belle's eyes are scary. Mm-hmm. She makes me so uncomfortable. This is not long after the fire, you know, when there are uh, uh, people investigated. And then also back at this time in the uh, 19th century, when there was like a, a big true crime incident like this and it was reported on the papers. Mm-hmm. People would come from like miles away. They would make like a mini vacation out of right, it. But they like have picnics. Yeah, they bring the kids, have a picnic. Yeah, they try and up. take some like maybe a charred piece of wood. Set it on the mantle. Be like, oh, yeah, that's a piece of the murder farm. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, there wasn't much else going on. So I suppose I understand. But like, wow, yeah, you guys. Our true crime fascination is not new. No, 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 no. And then this next one. This is Belle's creepy henchman, Ray Lamphere. He's creepy. His <laughs> eyes are too close together. <laughs> They're just so intense. And too close together. And he was like her evil, like hunchback kind of guy, like in a, in a bad horror movie. Where I feel like he probably wasn't 100% mentally there. Yeah, maybe not. But I think he would like, you know, bury the bodies. And it's like he was he didn't didn't seem that he was the murderer, but mm -hmm. he knew about the murders and was like helping her. He was the coverer upper. Yeah. That's and, a and real she left job. Him, left him hanging. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then, oh God, her eyes are. So, I'm so freaked out by her. Oh, yeah. That, that first picture of Belle. Yeah. And then this is just a picture of Kathy Bates holding a butcher knife in American Horror Story Roanoke. How she looks here is I imagine how Belle Gunnis used to look like to her victims. Yeah. Like that, that level of disturbed. Oh man, that was a good season of uh, American Horror Story. It was it really scared me. Mm -hmm. That was a good one. Yeah. Uh, also interesting about that time, the level of insurance fraud and the inability to prove it. <laughs> right, right. It's like you guys, stop giving her money for burning and murdering. Man, and they, well, and they just yeah, because they didn't have record keeping abilities back then. Like now, no databases. Right. So you, so you could pull off some scams in Chicago. 
And then if you could talk a good talk, if you like, it was a great time to be a con artist. Yeah. Because you'd go to Indiana, they would have no way of knowing what you had done in Chicago. They wouldn't have a, a way of knowing unless you told them where you used to live. Mm-hmm. And so they're just, man, it was way riskier to be in an insurance game back then. Yeah. Because yeah. it was so much harder to, to yeah, you know, protect yourself from from con artists. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like you said, like you could just, you could murder in one town and go to the next and like no one would know. Yep. You, although you would think that eventually it would catch up with you. It usually did. Usually, usually, like uh, you know, they would they would the Pinkerton. They'd hire some agency or whatever to like Pinkertons like track somebody I know, down. I know, yeah, and um, you know, the, there was plenty of cases where it would catch up to them, but it was much harder to have that stuff catch up to you. Man, you could just never pull that off in the same way now. I Not with about, digital record keeping. Now I even think about that uh, DiCaprio movie, Catch Me If You Can, about mm, Frank. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, don't I cannot Not remember. Too long. But like, same thing. It was just on the cusp of like technology changing in such a way where it's like, you could not pull that off right now. You could not yeah. pretend to be a pilot right mm-hmm. now. Are you kidding me? I mean, Belle Gunness, I mean, that was even, you know, her era before, you know, it's still for decades later, you could do this thing where uh, you just had to make it to the next state. Like you could rob a bank in Kansas. Mm-hmm. And then if you could just bounce over to Missouri before they caught you. Do they, you mean Missouri? Missouri. Uh, the the police chasing you from, in, in, you know, in Kansas yeah. wouldn't be able to keep chasing you in Missouri. It, it would be like they would stop at the bridge. I'm like, ah, I guess they got away. Seriously? Yeah. Yeah. There had to be like interstate. There had to be like new laws passed to allow them to, you know, travel out of their jurisdiction to apprehend criminals. How freaking so, insane is that? So a lot of like, you know, uh, Bonnie and Clyde type, you know, prohibition era gangsters, they would have, you know, hideouts on a state line just to make it really easy to, to sn- and then just go commit a crime on the other side of the state line and then bounce back to their hideout real quick. And, the, and, th- and then those authorities could, could allow, alert the local authorities. That's what I was going to ask. But yeah. it was just convoluted. It just wasn't... Uh, it's like, you know, Bonnie, you know, the chick, you know? They're like, <laughs> right. what? And then yeah. that's, when, that's when the feds started getting involved and like they could go anywhere. And it was a new... And they still can. Yep. And there was this new thing for, for criminals to deal with. Hmm. But, but back when Bell was around, law enforcement was comparatively like to now so unorganized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people just wouldn't, and it was more sexist, which worked out for someone like her mm-hmm. because women just weren't thought, they weren't thought capable of doing that by most people. You know, like they were just like, oh no, like the it's fair sex. Trick. They didn't think that yeah, women could be that violent. Well, let, let me tell you. <laughs> but it is less common. I mean, we know that to be true. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. As far as like uh, violent crime is committed by men far more often than women. Yeah, you guys are uncivilized. Oh, yes. You know? Oh, yes. Oh, no, you're bringing our private talk into the show. Oh, Jesus. Oh, yes. Jesus is what we call Ginger sometimes. She has a lot of nicknames. Sweet baby Jesus. Oh, Didi Dumdrop. Oh, Didi Dumdrop and sweet baby Jesus. Oh, she is a funny dog this morning. Just one quick aside. That dog doesn't beg for food at all. She's a totally motivated mm-hmm. by toys, specifically squeaky balls kind of dog, except Peanut butter. Loves peanut butter. Loves peanut butter. And the drawer that the peanut butter comes out of is also the drawer where maple syrup is, mm-hmm. granola, cereal. cereal. Like It's like the little like breakfast drawer. So if you, Dan was getting yogurt this morning and putting honey on it, and then Yeezus just sat in the kitchen. She makes this really super cute face. Mm-hmm. She has hip dysplasia for sure. So her legs start to spread out when she tries to sit. So she she's trying really hard. And she gives you this look like, mom, please. Please, mom will die without peanut butter. And then she was yeah. blocking my exit from the kitchen mm-hmm. until I gave her peanut butter. I like, I like again, just oh, really so quick cute. before we move on. I like the difference between the way Penny begs and, and the Didi begs. 
or excuse me, Penny, you know, is like frantic. She's aggressive. She's frantic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she's moving around. She's a lot of hustle and bustle, <laughs> making a lot of noises. And then Didi will sit there so perfectly still mm-hmm. and just like kind of like a gentle look on her face. And if it's real quiet, <laughs> you can hear her just make this. No, 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 that's not it. Yeah. It's so funny. And this morning I tried to give her an apple. Please noise. When I tried to give her an apple, she went and then pulled away like, mom, it's not peanut butter. She only wants peanut butter. Mm -hmm. She's yep, she's a little junky. When it's Didi's time to go, I'm gonna get all the jars of peanut butter butter and let her peanut butter herself to death. (laughs) It'll be her perfect exit. (sighs) Are you ready for some fan fan stories? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay, let's do it. Well, we have our a haunted house. Uh with different instances within the house of signs that the house is haunted. Okay. So we have some whispers. Okay. We have some possible touches and we have some possible doppelganger. Okay. It's like a great combination of three terrifying things. I know doppelgangers are very high on your list of like, nope, don't like Uh, that. mm -hmm. So, so taking that out of the mix, if you had to pick between hearing whispers or feeling something touch you, what do you go? what, What would you prefer to happen? Oh man, where is it touching me? Where? Well, it's up to you. <laughs> if it was no, like, just like like a brush on the arm or a touch on the face, I might actually prefer a brush on the arm. If, even though it's invasive, obviously touching you. Yeah, whispers might creep me out more. Okay, I also feel like a touch because a touch makes me feel like I could write it off more. Like, oh, mm. I just bumped into something. Oh, it's just a breeze in the house. Oh, the AC kicked on. Like, I feel like I could write it off. Whispers, definitely more scary. Yeah. But then also, am I losing my mind? Mm-hmm. It's a different kind of fear that comes yeah. with the whisper. Yeah. Okay, well, let's go. Let's see what's going on at this house. Hey, guys. I was not originally going to tell you my story as everything still feels so overwhelming when I think about it. But one of your tales reminded me of my own experience and I felt the need to share. In truth, some of the things that happened in this story sound exactly like what I went through. Uh, It happened in that story, like just in reference to another story. Mm -hmm. My story starts like a lot of ghostly experiences with moving into a new house. I was 10 years old when we moved into a new place. We moved around a lot and went through periods of homelessness. We were grateful to find a house with cheap rent where me and my siblings each have our own rooms for the first time. For the first month, nothing happened, and I loved our house. I loved my room, and as the oldest of three, I was so excited for a little bit of privacy. Then, everything started to change. It was the normal spooky stuff that people brush off. Unexplained noises, things moving out of the corner of your eye, the feeling of someone watching you. Considering I was just 10 years old, it's easy for me to dismiss these things as my imagination. Until it escalated. The first memorable incident became a reoccurring issue, and it came about three or four months after we had first moved in. It was late, and I had stayed up past my bedtime. I was finally just starting to drift off to sleep when I heard a whisper in my room. Just a simple, hey, hey. I sat up, thinking it was my little brother or sister, but through the light coming through the crack in my door, I could also tell there was no one there. I laid back down and tried to ignore it, and then it happened again. The whisper came again so close to my ear that I felt a breeze across my face. Hey, hey you, I know you're awake. Hey. I was so scared that I started crying. I pulled the blanket up over my head. I wanted to run and get my mom and dad, but I was too afraid to move. And somehow, I eventually fell back asleep. It started happening every night. 
I don't know why I never told anyone. I didn't even say anything when one morning my sister described a similar experience, saying that someone had touched her shoulder in the night and whispered in her ear. In another instance, when I was about 12, my siblings and I were waiting for my parents to come back as they had gone out to pick up food. I thought I had heard my mom call us downstairs, but I tuned her out because I was busy watching TV. I heard her call again, and yet again I tuned her out. Then there was a soft knock on the door, and my little sister stepped into the bedroom saying, Come on, mommy wants us. I was annoyed, but I went with her. When we got downstairs, though, no one was home. That same year, my dad called my siblings and I into the living room. He pointed at a spot on the wall and said, which one of you has been writing on the wall? I had to clean that shit up. None of us had done it, though. The wall had been clean when I, the older sister, and the one responsible for my siblings had gotten them lunch, and since then they had been up in my room watching a movie. My sister asked him what had been on the wall, but he wouldn't answer and instead told us not to be drawing on the walls and then sent us outside to play. Several times throughout the next few weeks, my dad would get after us about drawing on the walls. He was growing obviously unsettled by it, but never told us what was on the walls, and none of my siblings ever owned up to it. Things like that happened the entire time we lived there. We did move out of the the house when I was 17. My mom mentioned that she was glad to finally be out of there, saying that she didn't want to scare us, but things had always felt (laughs) weird to her at that house. She shared with us this one time that she had been sitting on the couch reading when I walked into the room, stared at her, and then turned and walked towards the kitchen without saying a word. She said that I had looked awful and that something wasn't right with me. She had gotten up to check on me, but when she reached the kitchen, it was empty. She looked for me and then found me hanging out outside on the porch, Hmm. playing on my phone. I looked completely healthy, but was wearing different clothes than before. Doppelganger for sure. I still live in that same town and I drive by that house sometimes and it has been fixed up to look a bit nicer, but no one seems to stay there for very long. I'm glad I don't have to go back. I don't like to talk about it because I know it all sounds so crazy. Love your show. Keep on being great. Oof. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I wonder if that little girl that her mom saw walking into the kitchen at the end was the same spirit that was like, hey, hey you. I know. I know you're awake. My God, can you imagine? The I know you're awake know. is the worst that part is. about that entire story. Yep. yep. It, it's the worst part. I can't recall another story where a spirit tried to like, like I want to talk to you. Hey, yeah, yeah. hey you. Excuse me. Excuse me. You know, like yeah. n- not ju- you just. Oh, yeah. Just a piece of that came down. down. Yeah. Oh, you know, because it got stuck to my hair. <laughs> it's like, what is happening back here? Uh, yeah. Just like, uh. not just, not just. Bill Gunnis, or saying like, yeah. I arranged it. You yeah, know, yeah. Like uh, disembodied and out of context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so different when it's like, I want to talk to you. I have something to say. I, yeah, I wonder what if she would have engaged uh, rather than say quiet where things would have gone in that story. I don't know, but our fan Fuck. is a genius for not. And it does. I, I didn't even think about it until you said it, but it would make sense that it was the same Spirit over and over, drawing on a wall is a very childlike thing. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like poking at somebody until they wake up. Ooh, and then like, and then, uh, that's really creeped me out. And then like, yeah, it's like the spirit of like a little girl, mm-hmm. and then maybe wants to uh, like is jealous of her Ooh. and her in the house, and then appearing to the mother of like, I'm your little girl, oh but, but but can't quite pull it off, and just looks yeah. like unhealthy and creepy. Yikes. 
Yikes. Yikes. That Imagine reminds- a little spirit trying to replace you like that. Well, do you remember there was a fan story? Gosh, I would really mm. have to do some digging to remember how long ago it was. But it was a brother-sister combo, and he would constantly, or maybe it was two, whatever, two siblings. And one sibling would always see a doppelganger of their sister and mm, yes. didn't mm-hmm. piece it together until... Mm-hmm. The doppelganger didn't have the same haircut that the actual sister had recently gotten. It was like, like a, it hadn't seen it yet, yet, so yeah. it wasn't caught up. It was like behind a little while. Exactly. Yeah, I wonder if that outfit that the that the doppelganger was wearing was something that the little girl had worn like a week earlier, two oh, weeks probably. Yeah. Like I wonder she didn't st- state, but but I guess it must have been one of her outfits, or the mom might have recognized. Like, wait, that's not my. Where'd you get that? Or mm, totally. Yeah. Yeeky, eeky, eeky. You ready for a little bit more? Mm-hmm. Are you sure? Are you yeah, going to be okay? Yeah, that one gave me the, some good chills. I know the, hey, I know you're awake. Yeah. Because yeah. oh. then, then I was pictured in my mind her being like, what do you want to talk about? And then like rolling over and having some like face, like a, like a little, you know, shadowy body in the bed with her. Yeah. Uh, what? Nothing good's going to come from that conversation. Mm-mm. Well, since we're talking about little girl ghosts yeah. and little girl ghosts that might like to play games, mm-hmm. let's just keep going on that path because we okay. have another great story of a possibly, probably haunted apartment uh, or house. I can't remember if it's uh, specified. Definitely a little child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Little kid ghosts are somehow so much creepier. <laughs> Man. Greetings, scared to death. My name is Rob. I'm Rob. a huge fan of scared to death and time suck. Thanks. I'm without a doubt a creep though not something I'm used to saying. (laughs) I can't get enough of the horror genre, but movies, stories are one thing. Real life is another. Here is my story of becoming a true believer. As someone who holds a master's degree, which I only include this to provide background into my thought process and my analysis background, I find myself always to be a rational skeptic. For the longest time, I never believed in ghosts, ghouls, demons, and so on. But that changed when I moved in with my girlfriend back in 2012. My girlfriend always told me that her apartment was haunted with the ghost of a little girl. I would indulge her and listen to her stories for as long as I was dating her, but I never truly believed. It was always small things, mostly the sounds of pots and pans banging or pots being dragged out into the middle of the kitchen. My first interaction took place in early December when we were setting up our tree. As any other normal person, we started decorating the tree from the top down. Once we got down to about thigh high, a bulb flew off the tree and smashed on the wall across the room. Now, my rational thought process was that since this was a tree with rather strong branches, Mm -hmm. upon putting the bulb on it, we must have bent a branch and and thereby created tension. And after a period of time, the limb snapped, shooting the bulb across the room. Debates between my girlfriend and I continued for the next week. (laughs) The second incident occurred on Christmas Eve. We were sitting in the living room with about six other people and doing what normal college kids do on Christmas, drink and tell stories. I brought up the bulb incident and laughed about how my girlfriend thought it was a ghost. Soon after telling this story, I saw a soda can slide quickly across the coffee table. It traveled about halfway across all on its own. My rational thought process was, it's wintertime in the northern United States. The heater's on, and we have a living room full of people. The soda must have perspired and slid down, (laughs) causing it to hydroplane across the table. I announce this out loud and pick (laughs) up the can and swipe underneath the can. Completely dry. Now, I'm still a skeptic, but I am becoming more curious. Fast forward a little bit. 
We were shopping at a secondhand thrift store and I stumbled upon an old 90s electronic Star Wars battleship game. It was less than 10 bucks and being a big nerd, I (laughs) instantly put it into my cart, fully unaware that this was going to cause chaos in my home. This game instantly became the ghost girl's favorite toy. The first night after bringing the game home, we were woken up in the middle of the night to the sounds of the battleship game playing. I got out of bed and looked in the spare bedroom where the game was sitting in the box on our bookshelf. I could see lights blinking in the box and the sounds being played. I immediately ran back into the bedroom and informed my girlfriend what I saw. This continued on a nightly basis. I always remembered the sounds of the game. Rebel, Commander, Player One, select your fleet. Rebel, Commander, (laughs) dispatch your fleet. Rebel, Commander, begin. The game would continue. E, three, miss. B, five, hit, and so on. This is the moment where I came to terms with the spiritual world and also a frequent conversation of topic between my girlfriend and I. She wanted to throw the toy away. I, on the other hand, refused as the ghost loved it and I'd rather keep her at peace. For good or bad, we kept the toy. (laughs) I would even go as far as changing the batteries every so often for the ghost. (laughs) This continued for the next year. Day after day, every night, Rebel, Commander, Player One, select your fleet. My grand, uh, my girlfriend's sister, brother-in-law, and five-year-old daughter were coming to town to visit, so we offered to let everyone stay at our apartment. In preparation, we cleaned everything. Our guests were going to sleep in our spare bedroom, and in the cleaning process, my girlfriend finally won the argument. Star Wars Battleship was going to be thrown away. The room was spotless, absolutely cleaned, top to bottom, vacuumed, everything in its place. We set up the air mattress and welcomed our guests. My girlfriend's sister and brother-in-law slept in the guest room. My girlfriend slept with her niece in our room, and I slept on the couch. Everything seemed to be going smoothly that night. Until breakfast. The brother-in-law asked his daughter, what was she doing in his room late last night? His daughter was adamant that she had slept through the entire night, and my girlfriend said that to the best of her knowledge, she had, in fact, slept in bed all night. I asked him to explain, and he said he was awoken sometime in the middle of the night to the sound of his door opening and saw the shadowy outline of a little girl standing in his doorway. He called out his daughter's name, but there was no response. He reached down to the table to grab his glasses, and when he put them on, he saw nothing, only an empty doorway and the thin light coming from the hall. Needless to say, this was a creepy way to enjoy morning eggs and breakfast. (laughs) As her family leaves a day or two later, we were cleaning up the air mattress and putting the room back as it was, when all of a sudden I felt a sharp pain in my foot. It was a piece of the battleship game, one of the little pegs. It was lying on the carpet in the middle of the room. Now, to this day, I have no answer. We cleaned that room, like really cleaned it, vacuumed it. Two people slept there for multiple days, and yet no one discovered this little peg until now. That was the last incident I ever encountered. We lived in the apartment for another year with zero experiences. To this day, I'm convinced the spirit loved the game so much, she must have followed it after we threw it away. Every time I tell this story, I get a little chills and goosebumps throughout my body. I have no answers other than we lived with a ghost for a period of time. All I can think is that this ghost was peaceful and innocent. Hmm. Yeah, we've talked about attachments before. Mm Mm-hmm. Spirits getting attached to objects. Yeah. As opposed to a a place, a structure that way. Mm Mm-hmm. That's funny for me to think about this spirit maybe being in the 
uh, attached to the house or mm-hmm. the, you know, I can't remember if it's apartment. a house or apartment, it apartment. Yeah, apartment uh, initially. And then when the battleship game came in, I had that game too as a kid. Uh, you did? Mm-hmm. That, that exact one? Um, maybe, because I did have an electronic one at one point that Cute. would like do like uh, attack, you know, B5, or, you know, it would make some noises. But yeah, it sounds like it got attached to that game and then, and then uh, left, which then made me think about how like with video games now, mm-hmm. like uh, mm. uh, PlayStation and stuff, like if it could get attached to a disc, my mind was going Funny. to this weird place of like, oh, that would be uh, something new. Just like to see like a game or a, a spirit showing up in a game, like oh, like, like in you a, put in like you put in like Red Dead, and then right? oh my god, what if the what if the ghost was like in the the that's open what I was world? Thinking. That's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's like, attached to the game. Like like you're talking to somebody, you're like, oh Logan, like did you play the new version of Red Dead? And then you start talking, you're like in the same spaces, and he Ooh. sees you see a character that he doesn't see, and then you start like really like going back and forth Ooh. on it, like taking notes, and then like. The thing that you see that he doesn't see at some point turns to face you like, <gasps> like as you're playing, like, oh, like there's a very distinct moment where you realize, oh, this is not just a Red Dead character. Like this is. Yeah. That's a really cool premise. Yeah. I love that where there is like you think it's a, a regular character in the game and it's like, you know, talking to your like Arthur or whatever. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, guiding you in the game. And then you realize later that like nobody else has this character in their game. Right. right. And, and it, would, it would take a while because those games are so complex. Mm-hmm, there's so many different characters. Oh, so there could be something oh, watching about the, you for the a lady, long time. The lady in black. You don't like uh, you meet, meet her in the woods. And they're like, what? Oh, my God. Somebody's like, oh, my God. Isn't it so crazy how when you're playing this game, like your whole basement just gets so much darker? You're like. <laughs> That what? doesn't happen to me. Yeah. Isn't it weird how it knows your actual name and starts talking to you in your oh headset? Oh my God, yeah. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. That would be so cool. That's like a, a gamer nightmare. It like reaches its hand, like the, the screen, yeah. the TV screen sort of bends. Like the ring that girl oh came out of the, uh, come out of this uh, screen. Oh, speaking of the ring girl, mm-hmm. I'm so excited for my live stories. Well, at this point, if you watched it, you would have heard it, but oh, buddy. That just conjured up an image from my one of my stories. You are gonna love it. I'm excited. For I, I have too. some fan. Ooh, sorry. I have some fan Japanese folklore. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. really. Okay, cool. very cool. Okay, are you ready for Uno Mas? I am. Just one more little story over here. Uh, I like these little stories. Yeah, they're nice sometimes. Just mm-hmm. break it up. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the, I walked away from this story. I've been adamant against Ouija boards, and I just want to continue to be adamant. Like no seances, no Ouija boards, none of that shit in our house or <laughs> okay. or or participating in. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Agreed. For right now, yeah. Daniel, uh, I'm, I'm on I'm on team agreement with that right now. They, they creep me out. Okay, all right. Well, I want you to be on team agreement forever. I'm, I was looking for you to say, "Oh, I promise, I would never do that." Not quite there. Yeah. All right. Good afternoon, King and Queen of the Suck. I have a story that happened at a friend's house that I lived in back in 2013. As a little bit of background on me, I've done paranormal research for a local group here in Salt Lake City called Salt City Paranormal. So, Hmm. spooky things don't usually get to me. However, in 2013, I was living with a few friends in a duplex, two of which follow the pagan beliefs. One night, they performed a ritual in the living room downstairs, but being someone skeptical of anything pertaining to any religion, I stayed upstairs in my bedroom. The next night, while in my room, I was playing on my computer, my TV, which stood on an entertainment center behind me, turned on by itself. Not thinking anything of it, I got up, turned the TV off, and continued doing what I was doing. This happened in succession for many nights, all in the evening, all after 8 p.m. 
Eventually, my Xbox 360 started turning on with it every time, and I would know immediately because it made a beeping noise whenever it was turned on. I was getting more and more paranoid, and as before with the TV, this began happening nightly. After two weeks of this, my room then began to feel colder than normal. I would wake up in a panic, scared to look near the sliding closet doors that were at the foot of my bed. I also began shutting my doors as I felt a foreboding force pushing its way into my room nightly. After about a month of these occurrences, I informed my friend and his wife about what had been going on. Thinking nothing of it, they told me not to worry and that maybe I was just spooked by the ritual that they had done the month prior. It was now closing in on Halloween, and that night, things took an even bigger turn. I remember vividly waking up at 2.47 in the morning and walking into our laundry room that had a bay window looking outside. I stood there, mindlessly, for no discernible reason, looking out that window for what felt like a few moments. Upon turning to my room, I found it was 5.30 in the morning. Whoa. I had been staring outside a window for three hours with no idea why. Of course, the next day, I informed my friends what had happened, and again, they shrugged it off. The same eerie TV Xbox issue continued to happen nightly with the intense feeling of some powerful entity now being in my room. Up until this point, nobody had witnessed this other than me. However, my friend came into my room that night and was hanging out with me on my couch. As we were talking, the TV and Xbox turned on in front of him. He sat there for a moment, looked at me, and asked if I had seen this happen. I responded with, see, this is what I've been telling you about. He checked all of the wiring to see if there was a short, but we could not replicate the problem. He went to bed puzzled that night, and I experienced the most horrific dream I have ever had. I dreamt I walked into my friend and wife's room with a blade in my hand and stabbed them to death in their sleep, and then proceeded to go into the laundry room and stare out the window once again. Jesus. I woke up in tears. It all felt so surreal, as if it had actually happened. The time I woke up? 2.47 a.m. I dreamt this dream. I kept this dream to myself and didn't tell anyone, as I didn't want to scare or panic someone in the house. I was working at a local haunted house and was performing, and it was just after Mm. Halloween as it was closing week in November. After our shift, my friend received a call from his wife, who told us we needed to come home immediately as something had just happened. He refused to tell me what she said, but he was concerned as far as I could tell. When we got home, she met us at the door and explained how she was in their bathroom, which was on the other side of the wall of my bedroom, and heard talking coming from my room. She turned off her music and listened closely. It was someone saying, Hello? What are you? She went into my room and sat on the couch in the darkness, and the voice continued to speak, asking the same question over and over. What are you? What are you? She then realized it was coming from my TV and was shocked when she realized the TV wasn't on. (laughs) She reached forward and put her finger on the power button just to check, and as she pressed it, the voice screamed from inside, Don't look at me! And all the electronics in my room powered on alongside with the lights. She panicked and ran downstairs. After, After she told me what happened, I confessed to them the dream I had had a few nights before. She stopped and her face went blank and she stared at me. I had the very same dream that very same night. I started to cry and felt relief that they finally believed that something was going on. 
They smudged the house starting downstairs. You could feel the energy, that dark, dark energy coming up the stairs as they worked their way around the house until eventually the last room was cleansed and the air somehow felt normal again. After that night, nothing ever happened again. Thanks for listening and keep up the awesome work, Matthew. Thanks, Matthew. What ritual did they do that kicked all that off? Who knows? Some invoking some kind of spirit. And man, just like uh, in the first story you told when she was like, I know you're awake. Yeah. This one, if touching, if I touched the TV, I thought I was hearing a voice. Uh, what was it saying initially? Um, what are you? What are you? Over and over. Yeah. From the TV. And I think it's coming from the TV. And then I touch the TV and I hear something scream, don't look at me. And then all the stuff turns on. My God, am I, am I freaked out? Oh, I'm out I'm, of there. Oh, yeah. I'm looking out, to out, move out. out of that place as soon as possible. Or get rid of the TV. The TV might have oh, been yeah. the source. Mm-hmm. Which is, I don't, I mean, I don't think we've ever really had a haunted, possessed TV. We've had stories where like a TV goes to static or a, a cartoon starts playing. Like the TV is the medium in which a spirit is connecting with people. Mm-hmm. But I cannot think of an instance where it was coming from within the TV. Man, I'm I'm glad I didn't hear that story right before uh, my last little trip on the road to Grand Rapids, which was super fun, by the way. Uh, fun fun shows in Holland, Michigan and Grand Rapids. But, um, you know, big new TV. And uh, it was like this uh, Hilton Canopy. It was like uh-huh. a, a hotel near the club where they put you up. And it was nice. Yeah. And it, but, but it had like, you know, like one of the big flat screens that they have in all the new hotels now. But I'm just thinking the size of that at the foot of my bed. There was kind of a short gap between the foot of my bed tiny little desk pushed up against the wall and then that TV. Yeah. And uh, and I'm imagining like if I heard something from that thing and then I was picturing taking oh, it further God. in that story, the TV turning on by itself like in the middle of the night. Yeah. And then just like a dark entity in the center of the screen, like a shadowy creature like in the TV trying no to communicate way. with me. No way, no way. Because no they way. have used, I mean, that, that was one of my first encounters with um, horror lore was the movie Poltergeist when I was a little mm-hmm. kid, the whole clown thing. Well, there's also, of course, the girl who keeps watching the static and mm-hmm. things are talking to her from within the TV. Mm-hmm. And ever since, you know, that's been a, a great mechanism for um, extra chills and stuff. Yeah. Uh, there's something inside the TV. Yeah. Something talking to you from the static. Don't look at me. Ugh, don't and look at me. The what are you had me very contemplative of what like, huh, okay, so... If we were to be contacted by a ghost, we would have a similar type of question of like, what are you? Are you a person? Are you a person that lived here? Are you man, woman, child? Right? Like we would be information mm-hmm. gathering if we were able to stay calm enough. Let's just pretend that we were super calm and chill and like whatever. Yeah. Okay. Well, this brings up the possibility that they feel like they're alive on their side. They don't have some sort of connection on the side of uh, of the veil thinking like they don't know how they died, how they got to where they are. So for them, it's like a weird out of body experience of like, well, what are you? Because mm-hmm. I'm a person. So are you a ghost? Like it just kind of had my wheels turning in a different way. Yeah, we've talked we've talked about this before here, but that whole like parallel universe thing. Yeah. Where, you know, what if there's multiple ones? What if there's some land of the dead? Like some people talk about the veil, the veil being thin here, mm-hmm. uh, more thin at this time of year than totally. other times. And, you know, some people when they're talking about the veil are talking about the veil between the, the world of the living and the world of the dead. What if the world of the dead from our 
our world of the living is one of just many worlds around us. And there is just like this thin veil between us and all these parallel dimensions. And when you mm -hmm. do these certain invocations or whatever, you're you're thinning it further. You're opening up like a little kind of window almost between our world and this other world. And just like we're creeped out by things over there. Totally. They're creeped out by things over here. Just such yeah. an interesting mental space to go to. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Good ones. Good ones again. Another well, another good one. It's always fun here. It's scared to death. Mm-hmm. It is. It's always a little spooky. And and welcome all the new uh listeners. I forgot to mention that, but um They've been doing some new promotions for us at like Sirius XM and Stitcher and other places and uh, the big billboard. Oh, that yeah. By the time this – we haven't seen it yet in, in real oh, time, yeah. but it's just coming out. And, and even prior to this with the the initial promotions, a lot of new listeners. So hopefully uh, a lot of you want to stick around. Check us out. Yeah. Check like, out the back catalog. Mm -hmm. Don't go too far back. <laughs> no, nah, go all the way back. Go all the way back. Well, the, it's not like it's a story – I mean, the story of our growth is fun to watch, but mm -hmm. you can pick and choose. Yeah, they're, absolutely. They're not related. Totally. Yeah, it's not a serialized show that way. That's the word I wanted. Yep. You want to yeah. thank some Annabelles? I do. Or do you want me to start? I can go first. We can okay. break it up. I would like to thank the following Annabelles for helping us to donate uh, each and every month to various charities. Emily Finch, Alejandro Carrera. No, Alejandro Correa. James Burns, Emily Pappas. Lexi Harlan, Casey McGee, Megan Kennedy, Jillian Cousins, Moss Twig. <laughs> hmm? Birth name? Maybe. Mm -hmm. Jennifer Harrod, Gary F. Cummings, John the Mothman Geiger, Aaron, <laughs> Aaron Rodriguez, Rowan, Devin Gregory, Lisa Despain, Richard Hale, Just Bree, please, Angelia Bovie, Brianna Eklund, Caitlin Gilligan, Gilligan Alex Wiseman, Maddie Lane, Michelle Pronk, and Jessica McCullough. Wow, thank all of you. And thanks to, uh, also to the following Annabelles. We Baby B. <laughs> uh, yeah. We Baby B. We Baby B. Wait, can DJ Honey say that? DJ Honey, welcoming We Baby B to the Honey family here at W. I don't remember what it's I love called. it. <laughs> I got to go back and remember. Charlotte. It's not written down anywhere. Charlotte's easy listening, but I can't remember the... Uh, Oh, the buzz. The buzz. It was the buzz. The buzz. Welcome, welcome. We baby B to the buzz family. Charlotte's number one adult contemporary station. Um, thanks to uh, Deanna Shugs or Suggs, uh, William Helmer, Jonathan Littles, Brandon Clark, Austin Yentes, Jenna McQuaid, Rhiannon Atkinson, Lisa Jordan, Jen, <laughs> the fluffer. All right. Well, <laughs> good for you. Maggie Bellamy, uh, Rachel Wheel. Haley Hale. Haley Hale. Uh, or is it Haley Haley? It might be. The second one is H-A-I-L-E. Could that be a Haley? I don't think so. It could be. Haley Hale. Haley. Could be. Haley Haley. Uh, Natalie Tonkin, Thomas Taylor, Victor M. Garcia, Cody and Carly Smiley, Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith. Okay, that's an interesting historical name. Sorry about founder, that. Founder of the LDS or maybe a LDS member and super pumped. Uh, Hannah Tupper, Jacob Hatchard. Brittany Daniels, Jeannie, Elysier Rubaclava, or I'm sorry, uh, Elysier, yeah, yeah, Rubel, Rubelcava, Benjamin Michael King Neville. I know, way to go for the whole name. Yeah, got like the Southern situation there, got like this ex that extra middle name. Yeah. And then Devin, so thanks all of you. <laughs> and Devin. <laughs> Four names and Devin. 
Awesome. All right. Well, I have a few spoopy shout outs. And also, I had a little faux pas last week. Oh. So the way that my spoopy shout out list is written is it's like the Annabelle shout outs are, I'm sorry, the spoopy shout outs are at the top because mm-hmm. they come in intermittently and it's easiest to interject them into my spreadsheet there. Yeah. And then come the Annabelle shout outs. Yeah. Well, when I was typing, but when I put them into this document, yeah. you're always waiting for your half. So I do the Annabelle's first and then go back to the top for the spoopies. Yeah. And last week, I don't know, I was just tired and rushed. I did all the Annabelle's and then just kept going and grabbed the spoopies, which means I was a week out of order. Okay, so now, now it's so, all corrected. So, yes, I'm just going to do all of them. So if you got one last week, you might also get one this week because it, it might have been meant for this week. Gotcha. And you, if you were supposed to get one last week, well, now you're getting this one. Okay, right. so here we go. We have a few this week. To Marcy from Andy, happy one year. Can't wait for even more memories with you. To Christy from James, happy belated birthday. To Brad from Ashley, thank you for being a great work husband and introducing me to Scared to Death. To Felix from Delia, happy anniversary. To John and Kate from Emma, congrats on your elopement. Smart choice. To Tori from Dave, happy birthday. To Dr. Spicy from Boo, happy birthday to my beautiful wife. To Taylor Moon from Meg the Peg, happy 30th. To Sunshine from Austin, happy birthday. To Alicia from Dookie Shoes, Aloe, and Diamond No. Thanks (laughs) for being my fellow work scared to death listener. A Diamond No is a hard no. I asked her, I was like, is that like no? Funny. Like I just didn't understand the context when they- Diamond No. That's a Diamond No. I was like, that's- The hardest no. That's a fucking awesome no. (laughs) Diamond No. Yeah. I'm taking that. Uh, And to Ale from Pow, happy birthday. I hope it's the spookiest yet. See you next month. Those are- siblings that listen together. Oh, fun. Yeah. And that's it. That's our show. Uh, thanks for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else at info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thanks to Logan Keith, Tyler C. for the work on social media. And to Logan again for running badmagicmerch.com and producing and directing today's show. Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation. Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. And to our book editor, Drew Atana for polishing and preparing the listener stories for book number four. Thanks to producer Olivia Lee for finding the first story I told this week and to Sarah Finch for finding the second. Subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want more content and to see the pictures that accompany each episode at Scared to Death Podcasts. We also have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers, with so many horror-loving members in it. And now you can follow us on TikTok. TikTok. At Scared to Death Podcast. Check out special moments, highlights from the episodes. Get some uh, extra visuals if you normally just listen. And if you don't want to hear any ads, if you want monthly bonus content, check out our Patreon. Get the entire catalog, ad-free and more. Enjoy your nightmares, creeps and peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but have no home here within scared to death. Welcome, welcome, wee baby bee to the Buzz family. Charlotte's number one adult contemporary station. Lemon, lime, and a drop of cherry make a simple Shirley. But what happens when Tito's handmade vodka reveals this sweet sipper's dirty secret? 
stir up a Tito's Dirty Sherlock and crack the case with Tito's at titosvodka.com. 40% alcohol by volume, namely 80 proof, crafted to be savored responsibly. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash scared to death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scared to death.